0: Well, it's the Lord's Day and it's Communion Sunday, so we get a chance later this morning to gather at the Lord's Table. And uh, we also have the joy of having our whole church family here with us this morning, which is uh, always a blessing for me. And uh, our hearts go out to all our family members who just have not been well and have been struggling with sickness and illness. And uh, please know we love you, we miss you, we're praying for you. And uh, we're just thankful that the Lord does all things well. Well, this morning we're going to take a little bit of a break from the Beatitudes, and it's not really a break in a way because what we're going to address this morning and what we're going to hear from is really directly connected to what Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes and where we've been going with hungering and thirsting for righteousness and our need for the mercy of of the Lord. And we're coming this morning to Romans chapter 3 and the apostle Paul's testimony about the fundamental gospel truth of justification by faith, justification by faith. And these two portions of scripture that we've been walking through, the beatitudes and the sermon on the mount and Romans chapter 3, they are far more connected than we typically think. We think typically of these as two different parts of the globe, of the gospel. But in fact, Jesus is bringing us to the place that Paul here in Romans chapter 3 explains. And both of them are really addressing our need and the necessity for sinners to be delivered out of our self-righteousness and our mercy and to be brought to a place where we can receive the righteousness and mercy of God and that place is in the kingdom of heaven where Christ is king and that place is being part of the family of God what we're going to celebrate later this morning at the Lord's table and it is entirely a gracious work of God's grace in Christ and it's what we celebrate God doing what we could not do for ourselves now a month ago or so, people I knew were visiting the South, and they sent me photos of an old beat-up house. And that old beat-up house was, had, a, had a plaque on the top, and it said, Slave Haven. And it was one of the houses that were used and part of the network of what was called the Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad was a network of safe houses and routes that were cared for by abolitionists, both in the South and elsewhere, in order to bring runaway slaves out of a portion or region of the United States where slavery was affirmed by law, was legal. And the intent was to bring them to regions and part of the states, and ultimately many of them ended up in Canada, Ironically, because the British had outlawed slavery to bring them to a place where they could be declared legally to be free because the law of the land in which they would come to dwell in outlawed or said slave trading was illegal. Now, brothers and sisters, our nation's history, in a very, very tangible and visible way, shows us how the deliverance from evil is very much both a legal and a moral matter it is both it's about what's right and wrong but it's also about the law what a court of law would say is right and true and correct and what is wrong And as we come to Jesus and the salvation he gives and what he's talking about in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, and he's going to go on and talk about the law and what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 3, the Holy Spirit comes and, and he shows us that our salvation and our citizenship in God's kingdom, our salvation and our citizenship are very much both a legal and a moral matter. Now, in our brokenness, we isolate and we go to one direction or the other. We focus on the legality. I'm saved and all, that's all that matters. Or we focus, well, as long as I'm doing what's good. But as we learned before, righteousness and mercy are never separate. And what a beautiful God we have. And this is the Christ that we behold. And with Him, He doesn't dispense of the legal requirements of God's righteousness. Instead, He provides a way for us who cannot do it for ourselves to meet that legal requirement. And because of that, we still hold very fast to a moral God and a moral heart and a moral gospel that says there is an absolute right and there is an absolute wrong. And that absolute right is found in the character and will of the God who created us. They matter, brothers and sisters, because the God who has created us and the God who has saved us is a moral God. And that's something that we can really easily forget. He does care about what is right and wrong. He does care about what is just. He does care about what is fair. Usually the rub comes, brothers and sisters, is because we don't see it the same way He does. And there's that rub and there's that battle. And now we live in a world where right and wrong is really framed by what hurts and doesn't hurt. That's the language that's being used today. If you hurt someone or you hurt someone's feelings, that is what is wrong. If you avoid hurting someone, that is what's right. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't want to hurt anyone. But we have to understand that our salvation is based on a right and wrong that comes from the heart of God, not necessarily a perception of what is hurtful and what is not hurtful. And as we come to the Lord and we come to His Word, He shows us that if we are to be delivered from evil, if we are to be delivered from the slavery to our self-righteousness and our sin, if we really are going to be free in Christ, True freedom in Christ requires us to be brought to a place where we are legally declared by God to be free from sin, where we are legally declared by God to be innocent and right before God and right with God. Because at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, that's the only relationship that matters. Without that relationship, without being right with God and without being right before God, according to His standards and not what we think, we have absolutely nothing. And this, brothers and sisters, is what justification by faith is all about. And so that raises the question, what is justification by faith? In Greek, the word for justification comes from the same word for righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. And it's a legal term that's used in a court of law that declares a person to be innocent of a crime or to be right according to the law of the land. And Scripture teaches that justification by faith is an act of God by which He, not us, by by which He declares righteous those who through faith in Christ repent of their sins and confess Jesus Christ as their sovereign Lord and Savior. Now that's taken from our doctrinal statement when you go to our website and it says, about us, what do we believe? And that's listed there. And this is the gospel truth that separates true salvation and true worship from false salvation and false worship. And this is the gospel truth that Martin Luther stated the church will either stand or fall on this truth of justification by faith. And to help us understand this fundamental gospel truth, the Lord has given us the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans, where Paul really just explains what Jesus is laying the foundation and talking about in the Beatitudes. And this Letter was written by the apostle Paul around AD 56 and it's written to a church which the apostle Paul had yet to visit in person the church in Rome and from Romans 16 we see that this church was probably a mix of both Jews and Gentiles and it was probably a collection of small house churches and the apostle Paul's primary purpose in writing this letter was to introduce both himself and his ministry to the believers in Rome to show them what he stood for and his doctrinal position and his philosophy of ministry. His desire was to visit them in person and to minister to them, but his desire was also to partner in ministry with them. And so very much this letter is like the Apostle Paul's CV or his resume. It's his doctrinal statement. He's sending it before them and says, this is what I stand on. This is my philosophy of ministry. This is who I am and this is what I'm all about. And in Romans chapter 1, if you look in your Bibles, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul explains what he and his ministry are all about. And he explains what justification is all about. And it raises the question, what are you all about and what am I all about? What is this church all about? What is our ministry, our marriage, our families? What are they all about? Well, for Paul, there's just one word. For Jesus, you remember, he says, blessed. For Paul, that one word is the gospel. The gospel. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for what? Let me hear you say it. We have the kids with us today, so you can let it out. The gospel. You can't speak in church. The gospel. You just have to speak the truth in love. The gospel. The gospel of God. Okay? Not just the gospel, the good news of God. And then the rest of Romans, the Apostle Paul explains what this gospel is that sums up his life. Brothers and sisters, if you are a child of God, you are not set apart for the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or Lighthouse Bible Church or Grace Community Church. You are set apart for the gospel of God. And all the pistol fights on everything else don't matter because that's the only one that matters. Are you set apart, separated, and given entirely over to the gospel of God? And the rest of Romans, the Apostle Paul explains and shows us why this is necessary and what this looks like in the life of the local church. And what is the gospel according to the Apostle Paul? Well, he tells us in the rest of verses 1 through 5, and you can read that on your own at home, and then famously in verse 16 and 17. So have a look at verse 16. He says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by what? Let me hear you say it. By faith. What are you living by, brothers and sisters? What is your economy of righteousness? What is your standard of right and wrong? And this brings us to our very first point for this morning. The gospel is the good news of God's power, God's salvation, and God's righteousness, not ours. The gospel is the good news of God's power, God's salvation, and God's righteousness, not ours. Brothers and sisters, the path of all false religions, Roman Catholicism, much of American evangelicalism, I might add, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, they are all the paths of self-righteousness. What must I learn? What must I chant? What must I say? What must I do? What must I offer in order to be saved from suffering? What do I have to do to avoid going to hell? What prayer do I need to say? What card do I need to fill out? What ministry do I need to serve in? What program do I need to be part of? And the result of this, brothers and sisters, is a life and a worship of never-ending do's and don'ts and of self-righteousness and mercilessness where we hold our fingers and shake them at other people because they don't do the two or three things that we do really well. We know the Bible really well. You don't know the Bible really well? Well, so much better than you. We sing really well. You don't sing like us. We dance really well. Where's this going, right? But hey, that's us. And we see that all of those things become false assurances that make our flesh feel really well and and they make us feel good and in fact they don't hurt us and they make us feel comfortable and they feel right and good because they pander to our flesh and make us feel better about who? Ourselves. And in the end, as You know, Danny has shepherded us this morning. We were created to behold the goodness and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His is the beauty that changes our life. And instead, we end up looking at the mirror, having surgery done and doing all the other different things that we need to do because we ain't looking so hot, right? Cover it up. Well, the good news of God's word and the good news of his salvation is we don't have to spend the rest of our lives looking at ourselves, This is where the Lord really sets us free. From the beginning, the Apostle Paul makes it explicitly clear the gospel is the good news of what God can do and what he does do. And the gospel is the good news of his power at work, not our power at work. And the gospel is the good news of a salvation that he gives as a free gift and he accomplishes, not what we accomplish. And that's throughout the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul is just summarizing the entirety of God's word where repeatedly the word over and over again from the prophets as they call people to repent. Why do they call people to repent? To turn away from themselves and to turn to the Lord. Salvation is from 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 the Lord. Lord. And finally, brothers and sisters, the gospel is the good news. About his righteousness, the righteousness of God, and not the righteousness of men. And this, brothers and sisters, is what makes the gospel, on the one hand, so incredibly sweet and beautiful and good. No matter how great the sinner, God's work and righteousness and goodness and salvation is so much greater, infinitely greater. But at the same time, brothers and sisters, this is what makes the gospel so offensive, It's because our sinful and self-righteous hearts desperately want to believe the lie that somehow, by what we say or do, we can contribute to our salvation. We can be good enough for God. We can make things right. Or we get a share in the credit and the glory. And do I lie? From our politics to our careers to... Even the education of our children. How much of that, brothers and sisters, gets fueled and informed by an effort and desire and a belief that somehow there's something we can do to make our children right, make the world right, make our church right. And if we just did it this way, everything would be so much better. And then that goes to why didn't you do it this way? And that's Adam and Eve in the garden. But in Romans chapter 1 through 3, what the Apostle Paul explains from Scripture, quoting from the Old Testament, is that in order to be saved, just like runaway slaves from the South, we must be legally declared innocent and right before the Lord. And this has to happen not in the court of American law. This has to happen in the righteous court of God. And this has to happen before the righteous creator of the universe, according to his standard of righteousness, which is nothing less his standard of righteousness than himself, his character, and his will. What he does, how he does it, why he does it, his is the standard. And brothers and sisters, how many of us measure up to that standard of righteousness? We can barely hang on to our own standard of righteousness. And the reality is, because we are all sinners, try as we might, from the best to the worst of us, there is nothing we can say or do to justify ourselves in the court of God's law. And this is why God gave us the law. God didn't give us the law to save us, brothers and sisters. He gave us the law to show us our need for a righteousness that is greater than our own. He gave us the law to point us to Christ. He gave us the law to show us our desperate, desperate need for him and not us, and for us to stop, and as Paul says, probably making reference to Job, for us to put our hands over our mouths. So, okay, I, there's nothing for me to say. There's nothing I can do to justify myself. And we think about our propensity, brothers and sisters, in our disputes, in our relationships. How often do we find ourselves in arguments where we are trying to justify my, ourselves? Well, I did this because I couldn't sleep last night. Or I did this because I had a hard day. Or I did this because, 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 because. And our heart's propensity is to justify ourselves. We try to declare ourselves right. We're right. We're correct. Because we have a good reason for doing the things that were hurtful and damaging that we did. And yet the Apostle Paul comes and says, you have it all backwards. The standard here is not what you think and not what is right in your eyes. The standard is God. And before God, we're all losers. We're all sinners. We're all failures. I tell this frequently. It still sticks in my mind. Those medical school exams, which the vast majority of people failed. And some of the guys had the gall to say, well, you know what? I got 40%. The rest of you all only got 20%. Like, so what? But brothers and sisters, that's what we do in our lives, our homes, our marriages, our families. And this, brothers and sisters, is why God sent his son Jesus Christ to set us free. And the apostle points out, Paul points out, we fall short of God's glory and we fall short of his righteousness. This is true not just of godless pagans, But it's true of religious Jews and the best of religious people who devote the entirety of their lives to obey and to know God's law. Yes, all those Pharisees and Sadducees who had memorized the entire Old Testament and devoted their entire lives to observing God's law to be set apart and holy. The Apostle Paul comes and says, You're just in the same boat as those pagan and godless Gentiles. Because at the end of the day, the standard is God's righteousness. And our works of righteousness, our effort, our striving, even if we get 40% and the pagans are at 10%, it still does not meet God's standard of what is innocent and right before the Lord. And this brings us to our second point this morning. All sinners need the righteousness of God, not men to be justified. All sinners need the righteousness of God, not men, to be justified. Dr. MacArthur and Dr. Mayhew note, from the beginning, it is necessary to understand God's salvation is all about righteousness. His righteousness. And we forget that. And if I'm honest with you, I forget that. Talk about grace. Grace. We talk about love. We talk about all of these things. And then why do you guys have to talk about right and wrong all the time? Why do you have to talk about truth? And yet as you read through Romans, the place where Paul goes, if you were to underline every time he used the word righteousness, it's through the roof. It's over and over and over again. Righteousness, 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 righteousness. Because the Apostle Paul is pointing us to the reality we're dealing with a moral and righteous God. And our salvation is all about righteousness. And if you avoid dealing with righteousness and you avoid dealing with His righteousness, you can fool yourself into feeling things are good, but you're missing the entire goodness of God's good news. What we need so desperately, brothers and sisters, the fundamental peace. Of this whole equation is the righteousness of God. Have a look at Romans 3, verse 9. Romans 3, verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Talking about those who observed the law and knew the law, knew the scriptures. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under what? Let me hear you say it. We're under sin. All of us. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. I hear the Apostle Paul in Romans is simply exegeting the Old Testament. And what's the problem? All of our righteousness, because it is contaminated by sin, is worthless before a righteous God. Does that sound harsh? Oh, God's cruel. What a standard. What a nitpicker. It's got to be perfect. Never satisfied. Never good enough. We have a, a lunch today, right? I hope you all stay and hear Ted share about biblical communication. Now, at that lunch, if I brought a case out in front of you, bottled water all sealed up, and I said, hey, I've got this great water, 90% pure, 95% pure, it's just a little contaminated with Ebola and HIV and a few other things. I did a really good job, 99% pure. Come on, my gift to you. Now, when it comes to us, brothers and sisters, we're not taking that chance, are we? It doesn't cut it. But with God and us, what a hard guy. And brothers and sisters, this is the reality that leads up to Romans 3.20, where the apostle Paul points out, not even a life devoted to knowing and observing God's word and law is enough to cover our sin and our justification and are standing before the Lord. Pastors and seminary students be warned, right? In verse 20, he says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. And Martin Luther makes the point in his introduction to Romans, he says, works of the law are everything that a person does or can do, of his own free will, and by his own powers to obey the law. And by extension, and by principle, it also includes, just by principle, if this is true of obeying the law, this is true of obeying all of Scripture. Brothers and sisters, don't think spending your whole life in a monastery, reading a Bible, is going to get you to heaven and cut it with the Lord. It hasn't worked for 2,000 years. Should we read our Bibles and pray? We should. But that's not what saves us, brothers and sisters. I spent a lot of time with Julie before we got married. Didn't make us married. Right? I could go and tell people, hey, we're married. We're an item. We spend all this time together. We ain't married. Not in a court of law. And nowhere else. Until before the Lord we stand and a promise is made and witnesses are there and before the Lord a covenant is made and we are bound before the Lord and we are bound before the community who we made those vows that we are husband and wife, a work of the Lord and it is entirely a work of the Lord. Whom God has brought together, let no man separate, right? And where Paul is going is he's pointing out simply, look, we are naturally sinners. We sin because we are naturally sinners. We do self-righteous things because we are naturally self-righteous. This is who we are. This is what we're born into by nature, but this is also what we desire to do. And because of it, there is nothing we can do or say that makes us right with God or innocent or covers over all the sinful things that we have done. We just don't have what it takes. Now, that doesn't get us to jump up and down, does it? But it's true, brothers and sisters, even if it hurts our pride. How many of you think that I should be in the NBA Hall of Fame? Christian Sanchez, why are you laughing, brother? Is that funny? It is funny. He's right. It's ridiculous. And if I was in the NBA Hall of Fame, you should say that NBA Hall of Fame is absolutely worthless. It's a joke. But the same is true in God's family and in His righteousness and in His courts. For God to lower His standard would make it a joke. It means righteousness is nothing. And that's where we live in America today. Right and wrong is whatever. Now, I could go to you two, and I could push that a little bit further and say, okay, but I really want to be in the NBA Hall of Fame. What do you think? If I study enough film, if I quit my job as a pastor and devote myself five days a week to playing basketball and I get a coach and I do it and I set myself a goal for the next five years and if I just put my mind to it, the American dream, right? If you just put your mind to it and you work hard enough. You can be anything in this world. When I come to UMAC Canadian and say, this is what I'm going to do next five years, you're laughing, right? And you should laugh. You should do more than laugh. You should pull me aside and say, that's negligent to your family and you're being ridiculous. Why? Because I just don't have what it takes. And the truth is, there's only one way I'm getting into the NBA Hall of Fame. And that's if I go as someone's guest, and someone pays my way. Or some NBA player says, no, I'm not going to accept this speech. Mark Chen can go and accept it on my behalf, and I can go and say the only reason why I'm here is because A, B, C, or D, who has a Hall of Fame career, has said he wanted me to go in his place. And this brings us to our third point this morning. The righteousness we need to be justified, God gives one way and one way alone through faith in Christ. And brothers and sisters, this is the good news of the Beatitudes. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Passive verb. They didn't get it. Someone is going to give it to them, and they're going to give it to them in full till their cup is overflowing. And this is the good news of Romans 3, 21 through 24. Have a look at it with me. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through what? Let me hear you say it. Not just faith, what? Faith in Jesus Christ. For all who what? Believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, how? By His grace grace. As a what? It's a gift, not a work, not something you earned, as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by what? Let me hear you say it. We ain't getting out of here until you say it. By faith. According to God's Word, and this is from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Paul shows us. This is not some new invention of Jesus or the Apostle Paul. The only way we can be declared innocent or righteous before God is if we possess His righteousness, not ours. And the testimony of God's Word is this is the righteousness that God has revealed to us in the life of His Son, Jesus Christ, especially when Jesus was on the cross when he was placed there as a substitute and sacrifice for our sin, when he was crushed for our iniquities, when he paid the price that we could not pay, and he did so with a perfect life, a life that was perfectly obedient, 100% without sin to the law and character and will of God. Father, not my will be done, but thy will be done. This, brothers and sisters, is what righteousness looks like. And the beauty here when he talks about, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested, that word for manifested is a word that's used for sunlight. It's shining through. It's a reality. You can feel the warmth of it on your face. The sun has risen. It is here. It is now. It is being experienced firsthand for all who come under it. But we have a choice, brothers and sisters. We can stand under that sunlight of the righteousness of Christ, or we can run back to our holes and say, well, this is my hole. And there's only one way we can obtain and possess this righteousness, and Paul explains it here. It's not as a work, something we earn, but it's only as a gift of God's grace, His unmerited favor, through the life of Christ, through faith in Him. And this, of course, begs the question, what is faith? Now, we have a tendency to confuse faith with familiarity. And that's how we've watered it down in the church. Faith is, I believe in Jesus. I know a few facts about Jesus. I've said some prayers to Jesus. And as I stated on Wednesday, I know a lot of facts about Donald Trump, Barack Obama, and President Biden. I don't believe in them It has absolutely no impact on my life. And that is not faith. And if that's what qualifies as faith, as James has said and others have said, the demons in hell are going to get into heaven before you and I because they know a, a lot more about Scripture and the facts of the Bible than you or I do. Faith, brothers and sisters, is a willingness to receive and embrace someone or something as worthy and true. The willingness to receive and embrace someone or something as worthy and true. Unbelief is the refusal to receive or embrace someone or something as worthy and true. If you really believe something is true, it's going to affect the decisions you make. Who you write checks to, who you vote for, where you go to work. If you really believe something is true, it's going to impact the entirety of your life. And Martin Luther, in the preface to Romans, writes, Faith is a work of God in us, which changes us and brings us to birth anew from God. Faith is a living, unshakable confidence in God's grace. It is so certain that someone would die a thousand times for it. Are you willing to die for your faith in Jesus Christ? That's the standard, brothers and sisters. And that's the test. And so in this way, we see faith is no work of man. It's merely the instrument or means by which we receive and accept the gift of Christ's righteous life. It's the means and instrument by which we say, yes, I'm not righteous. He is. He's worthy. And he is true. Unless... We are in that situation. That is not really faith. It's that acceptance. The acceptance of the gift, the embrace, where we take it into our life, and because we believe this gift is worthy and true and everything depends upon it, the entirety of our life is built around it. And I like it in this way, and I I tell my boys this. You know, how many of us with our children do we tell them to accept candy and gifts from strangers? Go ahead. Go ahead. Strange men in the street, sketchy guy asking for money in the middle of the street, go accept the candy from that person. No, we don't do it. Because we don't trust that person, and they're not worthy of our trust. And we don't believe that they have our best interests at heart, or that they can even be depended upon. But more often than not, brothers and sisters, our children will accept gifts from their parents. Why? Because they know their parents. Do they know all the facts about their parents? No, they don't. But they know enough, brothers and sisters, to know that their parents love them, that their parents desire good for them, and the gifts that they give have every intent of blessing them. And because of that, they are willing to receive that gift and open that package and take that gift And make it a part of their life. Now that's a broken illustration. But nonetheless, brothers and sisters, we see that faith of the simplest child of God, be it an autistic child, be it someone who's got special needs, be it someone who English is a second language and they don't fully understand. Nonetheless, when God is working as a child, when they have that faith and they understand this is who God is, this is who Christ is, And they might not be able to articulate particularly well, but that willingness to receive and have confidence and accept as true and worthy Christ, the life he lived, his death on the cross for your sins and mine. Confidence, brothers and sisters, upon which we are willing to build our lives and die for. That, brothers and sisters, is the faith that is being talked about here. When the Apostle Paul talks about faith in Jesus Christ, he's referring to this God-given confidence and assurance that according to God's Word, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Holy Son of the living God. He is worthy. He is true. And His redemption has paid the full price for our sins, past, present, and future. And His righteousness is pleasing to God. Faith accepts Christ's death on the cross. Not our best efforts is the only true payment for sin and the only righteousness that can make things right in our politics, in our world, in our marriages, every aspect of our lives. And brothers and sisters, as long as we say yes to us and our righteousness and that we're good enough, my programs are good enough, my preaching is good enough, my church is good enough, Brothers and sisters, we will never accept Christ's gift. And we will never accept His righteousness. The only righteousness that declares that we are right before God and that justifies us. Why? Because with Christ and by faith, we're able to say, I am a failure, I am a wreck, I am not perfect. But Jesus' righteousness is enough for the Father, and I'm with him. I'm with him in life, and I'm with him in death. I'm with him on a good day. I'm with him on a bad day. I am with him. Because his righteousness is good enough. Now, if you roll with Asians, sooner or later you're going to fight over a check for a meal. Do I lie? We've all grown up seeing our parents do it. And we've all done it, too. And when we fight over that check, it's a sweet thing. I know it's an Asian cultural thing, and I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, when we go down that path, what we're doing is we're refusing someone else's gift. And by paying, what we do is we turn a gift into a work. And we make it about us, not about them. Whereas when we let the other person pay, we have to be humble enough to say, you know what, this is entirely a gift. This is all about you. This is not about me. And brothers and sisters, that's what it means to be poor in spirit. That's what it means to grieve over your sin. And that's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. To say, Lord, you've got to pick up this check because I can't do it. And I will forever be indebted to your goodness and grace and your favor. Brothers and sisters, why does God insist that it's only through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, that will serve as the reason for which He will declare you innocent and righteous and a child of God. It's because He is holy and righteous, brothers and sisters, and He is just. And accepting anything less than the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, and what was displayed on the cross would be Unjust. And this is what Paul shows us in verse 25. He says, This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Well, brothers and sisters, where does that leave us? Brothers and sisters, in this world, there are only two types of righteousness. There's the righteousness of God and there's the righteousness of men. And there's only two paths and only two religions and only two choices in this world. Cut down all the whistles and bells and the multimedia and the big screens and the buildings at the heart of it. There are really only two religions and two choices. The religions of the righteousness of God and Christ that is given by faith or the religions of self-righteousness which come from faith and confidence in ourselves and our works. And brothers and sisters, only one justifies. Only one declares us right with God and all the other paths bring us back to the beginning of Romans, to Romans 1.18, where the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. And that wrath comes in two forms. The first is the present wrath, where God gives people over to their sinful beliefs and their sinful desires and says, Go have at it. And we live a living hell in this world. And then there's the future wrath when Christ comes back in judgment where he will hold us accountable for every word that we have said and every deed that we've done and every thought that we've made. Brothers and sisters, the good news of God is that he has brought and manifested in Christ a righteousness apart from the law that is a gift of his grace and that is received through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it's worthwhile for us as we consider ourselves professing believers. We need to think, as we talked about Wednesday night, what do you really believe in? What do you really believe in? What is your life built around? What is the story of your life? And what does it show that you believe is worthy and true? Is it Christ or is it all these other things? And as we think about that, then we need to ask, what am I living for? My righteousness or the righteousness of Christ? A righteousness that is received as a gift by faith. And what is my worship all about? And it's worth thinking about those things, brothers and sisters. I'll be honest with you. As I've gone through this, myself and my life, I look back and see how much self-righteousness there is we go we become christians it's like our marriage we get married we're in love it's great and then 5 or 6 years suddenly our marriages and families are about all of these other things than the love that the lord has given us between two people and it becomes about getting the kids to the school on time getting to church being here all it becomes all about the programs And we're no different than the Catholic Church at that point in time. The Catholic Church, is, yeah, they believe in Jesus. They believe you have to be forgiven. They believe in a righteousness of God. It's just that there's all these programs and steps and saints you have to worship and all these man-made traditions you have to jump through. And that's no different from the parachurch organizations or the articles that come out about these evangelical church movements on campuses. And it's no different many times in the evangelical church where we find our assurance of salvation in programs, brothers and sisters. And we have as many programs as the Catholic church has saints. And so it's worth thinking about these things and saying, what are the areas in my life that the Lord is highlighting that there is self-righteousness that needs to be put off because I'm a child of God and because Christ has died for my sins, past, present, and future... And I have the opportunity to walk in newness of life where my confidence is not on my track record, but it's entirely in the perfection and goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And specifically to begin putting off those things and putting on the righteousness of Christ in all of those different areas. To repent, basically. And then we're in a place where we come to the end of Romans 3 as former slaves of sin, who now live in a place where we are declared free. There's no going back, brothers and sisters. What would you say to a a freed slave living in Canada who says, I'm just going to go and visit my relatives in the south. Are you crazy? Why would you do that? I miss the food. I miss the friends. I miss the good old times. Are you insane? Right? And so Paul shows us It brings us, brothers and sisters, to a place of incredible gratitude and celebration, to celebrate that everything that we need, God has given us in Christ. That's what we celebrate at the Lord's table. It brings us to a place, brothers and sisters, where there's absolutely no boasting. There's no pointing of fingers. We're not better than anybody else in the kingdom of God. Based on our theology, based on what we know of the Bible, based on how much we pray, no, there's no boasting. The only thing that we can boast in is Christ and his perfection and his glory. And then finally, lastly, what do we spend our time beholding and celebrating and keeping our eyes fixed on and enjoying? One thing, brothers and sisters, the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a gift, what a joy. And you have the opportunity this morning, by faith, to choose that path and to be free indeed in Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, how great a salvation. How great a Savior. Would we be a people, Lord Jesus, who live not by our righteousness and our mercy, but instead, Lord Jesus, would we be a people of faith faith in you who live and celebrate and rejoice and share not our righteousness but a righteousness that has been purchased for us given freely to us by way of the cross the righteousness of God in your name we pray amen